If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 through 11 this morning. Um, I, if I'm being honest with you, my heart is extremely heavy uh, as, I'm, as I'm here preaching uh, this message to you on this morning. There are all sorts of emotions that are running through me um, as I've been watching the, 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 the scenes from city to city each, uh, each night this week as it relates to the, the, the riots and the protests, the devastation and the destruction. Um, as, I, as I watch with my own eyes the video uh, of Mr. George, George Floyd uh, dying literally on video, I have to admit that my heart is extremely heavy. And so um, please, as I am working through this text this morning, I, I ask that you would pray with me um, that God would grant strength so that I might share his gospel and share his word uh, with you. Um, again, if you have your Bibles by now, hopefully you've either scrolled or turned to 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Uh, I want to read, read this scripture as we start. It says simply, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Again, the very first part, beloved, let us love one another. The command, let us love one another. It is a simple command to understand. It is a, um, a, a very simple command to understand. It doesn't require a whole lot of dissection. It doesn't require a whole lot of uh, deep diving into theology in order to apply and put it into practice. In fact, we train our children from a very young age, almost from the point of, uh, from the point of literally birth, we train them to love, we teach them to practice loving, loving their, their siblings, loving their parents, loving uh, other family members, loving friends of the family. We teach them early because this is a simple command to understand and to communicate, love one another. It's not only simple, it's also essential. It is an essential command to love one another. Jesus, when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment of all the commandments, he responded with these words, love your God with everything. Love your God with your heart, with your mind, with your soul, and with your strength, and love your neighbor, no matter who they are and what they look like, as much as you love you. Jesus said, if you do this, you'll fulfill all the law. Love God, love neighbor. In other words, these two commandments tie all the other commandments together. Righteous living and righteous practice is bound up in these instructions. Love God, love neighbor, love one another. It's a simple command. It's an essential command, but it is also, in fact, even though it's simple and essential, terribly difficult to actually obey. It is a hopelessly elusive command to follow. The Apostle John, I'm sure, understands the difficulty of this command because it's in the twilight of his life, having lived a long life in service to King Jesus. Now he has obviously ushered many souls into the kingdom of God. He has obviously discipled many hearts into a deeper and more mature relationship with Jesus. And yet here he is in the twilight of his life offering this simple and essential command. Love one another. You would think all these years he has something very deep and very profound to offer us in terms of commands and in terms of theology. But what, what John offers us is the most simple command because it is the most difficult command to actually live out and apply. 
In fact, over the course of the past few weeks, our ability to love has truly been stretched and truly been tested. We have watched and witnessed in real time as new stories bubble up to the surface to pick at the scab of the collective racial wounds in our country. First, there was the story of Ahmaud Arbery, the young black man in Brunswick, Georgia, who was chased down and shot and killed by a father and son, white father and son, based on suspicions that they had, that he fit the description of someone that possibly was responsible for some robberies that still have yet to be actually verified. Fast forward to this week and right after another recorded incident between uh, a young white uh, woman running in Central Park and an and a older black gentleman who was bird watching in Central Park and how, those, uh, how this, that incident stoked racial tensions in our country on Sunday. Fast forward right past that, Monday, Memorial Day, we got more sad news and more grief with the recording of the killing of Mr. George Floyd as it began to surface across the country. Mr. Floyd was killed again on Memorial Day while in the custody of the Minneapolis Police Department. And for close to nine minutes, George Floyd had the pressure of the knee and the body weight of Officer Darren Chauvin applied to his neck. Now, while nine minutes doesn't sound very long, it is indeed quite a long time to have knee and weight applied to your neck. In fact, if we were to start the clock, it would be 8.20 p.m. for Mr. George Floyd. He was handcuffed, and yet at this point at 8.20 p.m., he was pinned to the ground, and Officer Darren thrusted his knee on the neck of this man who was affectionately known by his hometown friends in Houston, Texas as Big Floyd. And we find ourselves yet again stretching the strands and the strings of love in this nation. It's like dynamite to a powder keg. This incident led to an eruption of anger and rage and frustration, debates and callousness and bitterness and every other emotion one could even think of. There were peaceful protesters, and those peaceful protesters were being overwhelmed and are being overwhelmed by rioting, and, and cities are being destroyed. Love of neighbor is being tested, and love of neighbor is being strained. As I mentioned, I personally have, have had my own bouts with deep grief and deep sorrow. I've watched the verbal sniping online on my social media page, and I've noticed the silence of some possibly scared to say anything because they don't know what to say. Or they, maybe they fear what their friends may say to them if they speak. I've watched the frustration of others. I've watched the frustration of many who's wondering when will all of this end? And I've watched the callousness of too many coming up with all sorts of reasons as to why this isn't a big deal. And it's left me, seriously and honestly, it's left me at times asking myself, Lord, how much more strain can we actually take in this country? You see, loving one another is simple to understand and loving one another is, a, is essential in any pursuit of real genuine righteousness. And yet it is so very hard to actually put into practice. In fact, the legendary civil rights activist, Dr. John Perkins from our very own Jackson, Mississippi, he says it best. He says, love is the final fight. But that's why I feel 
led to share from God's word on this very issue this morning. You see, it was my intention to jump into a whole new series and to, and to talk about the nature and the purpose and the work of the church. But instead, I want to lean into this dark moment. I want to lean into this tumultuous moment. And, and, and it's, a, it's a dark and tumultuous moment, a moment unlike anything I have ever seen in my lifetime in ministry. And I want to lean into it with this one encouragement. I want to lean into it with the encouragement to you, brothers and sisters, to love one another. By the way, at least two minutes have passed since I first mentioned George Floyd, and it, it, it would have been 8.22 p.m. At 8.22 p.m., the EMT was contacted as it appeared that Mr. Floyd was beginning to experience some medical crisis while Officer Darren's knee and the weight of his body was still upon his neck. And it was about this time that George Floyd was calling out for his mother with these words, Mama, Mama, I'm through. Floyd's mother actually passed two years ago, and yet he was calling her name because many believed that in calling her name, he knew he was about to die. You see, we must ask ourselves, does our gospel and the love that Christ has given to us have something to say about this? And the answer is, is that it must have something to say about this. The Apostle John writes in verse 7 of chapter 4, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Love one another is the command, but from this command flows a number of different reasons as we walk through verse 7 to verse 11. And I want to point out a few of those reasons quickly. The first reason for us to love one another is because we, we love because love comes from God. We love because love comes from God. Let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God. You see, all righteous love has God as its source. It is the quality that he himself produces for us and stores in us. Pastor and Arthur John Piper captures this, this, this phenomenon in this way. He says, love is from God the way heat is from fire or the way light is from the sun. Love belongs to God's nature. It's woven into what he is. It's part of what it means to be God. The sun gives light because it is light and fire gives heat because it is heat. So John's point is that in the new birth, this aspect of the divine nature becomes part of who you are. The new birth is the imparting to you of divine life. And an indispensable part of that life is love. God's nature is love. And in the new birth, that nature becomes part of who you are, end quote. But see, because, the, because true love has its origins in God, it comes from God and is placed in us by God, then it only makes sense for us to say that only God gets to say and, and gets to define what true love really is. See, in order for us to understand love, we must look to God. We must look to his word. We must look to his teaching, teachings and his examples. And, and in particular, and ultimately, we must look to Jesus Christ. And when we do that, we find out that true love is sacrificial. For Jesus says in John chapter 15, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. 
When we look to Jesus, we also find out that true love is faithful. For Jesus issues this challenge to us in John chapter 14. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. We also discover when we look to Jesus, we discover that true love is not just reserved for our friends, but it's, but it's, but it's inst- extended to our enemies. For Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, verse 32, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. In verse 35. By the way, roughly three minutes have probably passed since the last time I mentioned George Floyd. By now, it would have been 8.25 p.m. And Big Floyd, again, as he was affectionately called by his hometown friends in Houston, a brother whose pastor in Houston called a man of peace, has now been rendered unconscious by Officer Darren. And yet Officer Darren's knee and the weight of his body is still firmly placed upon George Floyd's neck. I ask the question again, does the gospel of Jesus Christ compel us to care? Does it ignite compassion for those who are hurting? Does it leave room to forgive those who have offended us in the most devastating ways? Does it provoke us to love one another? But as we think about love coming from God and as we think and as we look to Jesus rather to define what that love is, we must also look to Jesus to find out what that love is not. There's a few caveats that I want to offer when we talk about love and define love. Number one, love is not without confrontation. In fact, there are times that true love demands confrontation because true love is about truth-telling. Jesus and Peter had a confrontation once that's found in Matthew chapter 16. Jesus was offering his his, um, disciples a peek into what was ahead for him telling them in verse 21 of chapter 16 that he had to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things and ultimately die, but, but raised from the grave in three days. And, and in the next verse, Peter pulls him to the side and he rebukes Jesus, saying, that, that can't happen to you, Lord. Far be it from you. In verse 23, however, Jesus confronts Peter. and He looks Peter right in the eye. He says, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Jesus confronts Peter with the truth, even if the truth was not necessarily what Peter wanted to hear, even if the truth was extremely uncomfortable. You know, sometimes we want to define God's love as a silent toleration of falsehoods and lies. Some of us wish for a love absent of confrontation because it keeps us from having to confront the areas of sin that are in desperate need of that confrontation. But love often requires confrontation because righteous love is about truth-telling. True love is about truth-telling. And true love and righteous love is about opposing something, namely evil, unrighteousness, and falsehoods. Which leads me to my next caveat. What love is not. Again, love is not. Number two, love is not without justice. 
We see that when Jesus is in the temple in Matthew chapter 23. It was Jesus himself who encouraged us not to neglect the weightier matters of, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I got ahead of myself. But in in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus encourages, encourages us not to neglect the weightier matters of the law, which includes faithfulness, mercy, and justice. And it's in fact that we see that in the temple in John chapter 2. We see Jesus demonstrating a righteous fury when the Gentiles were neglected access to worship in the temple in order to give room to people, the money changers, and to make sure that the money continued to flow through the temple. In verse 14 of chapter 2 in John, it says, In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Jesus did not neglect matters of justice. Jesus did not neglect Matters concerning the vulnerable, matters concerning the neglected, matters concerning the overlooked. You see, it's precisely because I love that I urge my white brothers and sisters to speak up when they see their black brothers and sisters hurting. I love my white family and I love them enough to push them towards courage. And I hope that they love me enough and that you love me enough to do the exact same for me. But I also love my black brothers and my black sisters enough to not let their hurt go ignored or to go diminished. And I love my God enough to stand for his standard of righteousness when it is being neglected. You see, it's precisely because I love that I urge our governing leaders and civil servants to confront those among them who who see their jobs as channels for cruelty and channels for corruption against those that they hate or those that they fear or those that are vulnerable amongst them. You see, I love my city and my country enough to push it to seek righteous leaders and righteous governance and righteous authorities. And I love those under that authority too much to be silent when those that govern are abusing those authorities. However, it's precisely because I love that I urge any that are hurting to not let their anger lead them away from grace into rage and destruction. I love those that are hurting enough to warn them that nothing rarely good comes from unrestrained and unleashed pain. It will ultimately only lead to deeper wounds and and more people hurt in the end. In fact, scripture warns us in Ephesians chapter four to be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. You see, love for my brother will bridle the type of anger that seeks his or her destruction. It's been said that hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. And only love will do that. And I know what some of you are out there, some of you are out there and you're hurting and you're angry and you're probably saying, listen, some progress or some progress can only come through aggressive and violent action. Violent aggression that, 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 that's the only way for some, for some progress to be had. But need I remind you that the greatest act of progress in your life as a Christian came through 
peaceful resistance. You see, it was us who were once far off from God that were brought near to God. Progress, the greatest progress in your life was made through the peaceful resistance of the Son all the way to the cross, dying on behalf of your sin. By the way, roughly five minutes, probably four minutes, have passed at least since the last time I mentioned George Floyd. By now, it would have been 829, two minutes after the EMT had arrived, nine minutes after he had first been placed or, or the officer had first placed his knee and his weight into this man's neck. Officer Darren, at this point, finally lifts his knee up from Big Floyd's neck. And we, of course, know the rest of this horrific and horrendous story. Does your gospel compel you to care about this? You see, fam, if our gospel has no ability to breathe hope into that hopelessness, if it doesn't even offer us the ability to feel the crushing weight and the crushing pain of that dehumanization, if it doesn't compel us to care about it, it could be, could be, that our gospel may be filled more with intellectual fervor and yet be void of authentic, Christ-imitating, sacrificial love. The true love that comes from God will not allow me to be silent because it is not absent of justice, nor is it absent of confrontation. George Floyd may have been perceived as a lot of things to a lot of people. To some, he was a friend, Big Floyd. To others, Officer Darren, he may have been perceived as a threat, the need to be neutralized. But regardless of how he was seen to us, he was seen by God as a bearer of his very own image. And the love of God, the love that God has produced in me requires that I make that known. It requires me to speak to that. However, that same love tempers my frustration. That same love tempers my rage. It allows for anger, but it does not allow for my sin. You see, pain is not unleashed, or pain should not be unleashed like a busted pipe, but rather like a timed valve. Pain has to be channeled in directions that God can use for his glory, rather than the, devil's, the devil using for his own plots and schemes for me and other people hurting around me. Love is from God, and love is defined by God, but here's another reason why we must love one another. We must love one another. Second reason, because love reflects our relationship with God. Look at verse seven through eight with me, the second half of seven. It says, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. You see, our knowledge of who God, is, who God is is bound up in how we love one another. If we do not love one another, it is because we don't know God like we profess to. So let me make this as plain as I can. City Life fam, City Life friends, YouTubers, Facebook, Facebook livers, those that are watching with us. Let me make this plain. If you despise someone based on the color of their skin, it is because you lack the knowledge of God that you profess to have. Let me make this plain. If you will not demonstrate sacrificial love towards someone based on what side of the border that they live on or what side of the ocean that they live on or or 
or based on what political affiliation they align themselves with, then it is because you lack the knowledge of God that you profess to have. This isn't me talking. Look down at verses 20 and 21 of 1 John chapter 4. Listen to our elder brother, the one in the twilight of his life, Apostle John, with the Spirit of God inspiring every single word that he's writing to his church. It says in verse 20, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar for he who does not love his brother For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother, must also love his brother. What a tragedy it would be. If in the judgment hour, we discovered that a good bit of this nation's professed knowledge of an unseen God was only a ruse because it was void of love for the brothers and sisters who we see every day. I'll never forget the first time I saw this photo that we're about to show you. This photo of a KKK meeting in the 1920s in a house of worship. In fact, in fact, KKK meetings it appears there were frequent KKK meetings in dozens, possibly hundreds of churches across the country back then in those days. Here you see in this picture a room filled with men in white hoods and all of their bigotry and hatred under a big, bold, phonic banner in the choir stand that simply says, Jesus saves. Yes, he does. Many people have been used by demons to twist the hope of the gospel and the love of Jesus Christ into an opportunity to excuse their hatred of another person based on skin color, based on class, based on nationality, or or differences of opinion. But John makes it clear, those who are of God, those who are born of God, those who truly know God, manifest in themselves a sacrificial, mercy-flowing, enemy-embracing love that pleads for the vulnerable, defends righteousness and justice, and above all, seeks to make Christ known in both word and in deed. The absence of this love, the absence of this love, sadly, fam, could indicate an absence of true knowledge of God. It can indicate an absence of the true presence of God in one's life. It could, indica- it could indicate an absence of us actually receiving God in us, which leads me to my last reason why we must love one another. We must love one another because we've been loved by God. Verse 9 through 11, starting in verse 9, it says, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. Here John gives us the ultimate example of love. This is love completely defined. God sent his son. He sent him. Notice that love is demonstrated not just not simply in an emotion. Man, I I really hate that those people are down there in all of their sin. Man, I really love them and, and, and I just hate to see them go through what they're going through. 
No, no, no. It's, 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 it's demonstrated in more than an emotion. God brings a full manifestation of love to us in the most significant sacrificial action in the history of the universe. He sins. He acts in sending his very own son into the world. His son acts in taking on the poverty of this world, and he in no way deserved, nor had, he, nor, had, nor had to accept it, but because he loved us, he acted. His sin took on, the, or his son rather, acted and took on the ridicule and the mockery of this world, and he in no way deserved, nor had to accept it, but because of love, he acted. His son acted and took on the abandonment and the betrayal of his very own people in this world, and he did not deserve it, nor, had, nor did he have to accept it. But because he loved us, he acted. His son took on the brutal punishment on the cross. He took on the sins of this world, your sin and my sin, and he in no way deserved it, nor had to accept it, but because he loved us, he acted. The full manifestation of love was on display in the sending of his son, Jesus Christ. Love that moved beyond emotion and feeling. Love as sacrificial action. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. He acted. Verse 10 says, in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. In other words, this love was not transactional. He didn't demonstrate this love as a sacrificial action because we, because we showed love towards him. You see, he, he initiated the action before the action was reciprocated. You see, at times we as saints can become so conditioned by the world's philosophies and the world's behaviors and the world's attitudes that, that we can paint a Christian veneer on top of worldly doctrine. We tell ourselves that it is only when people love me that I should show love in response to those people. We tell ourselves that love must be reciprocated to me in order for me to give love back to those people. But brothers and sisters, such is not the way of Jesus. He first loved us. God loved you, and he loved me before we ever dreamed of truly loving him. He initiated and acted in providing us a sacrificial act of love long before we offered any commitment of allegiance to him. He initiated his love towards you. See, we are able to produce an initiating love when we truly understand the love that was initiated for us. In fact, 1 John chapter 4, verse 11, finally it says, Beloved, if God so loved the world, or if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. You see, a hell-rescuing love was initiated for you, a wrath-removing love 
love was initiated for you. A sin-absorbing love was initiated for you. And so with all of that love initiated for you and initiated for me, how then can I now withhold love based on my fear of someone rising above me, taking my place in the echelons of progress? How can I now withhold love based on someone's class or based on someone's color or based on someone's nation or based on someone's politics? How can I now withhold love based on the wounds of my past with people who look like those that wounded me? I can only do that when I lose sight of how much I've been loved by him. You see, the more I meditate on his love for me, the more compelled I am to love others, the more compelled I am to initiate love, the more compelled I am to act in love, no matter the condition in which I must act. Family of God, if you are a recipient of this love, then I'm confident, and I'm confident that even in your most frustrating hours, the love in which you have experienced from God will not let you not love. I know that the love in which you have been loved with will not let you hate. And saints of God, this is the love that God has called us to take into this world. In this hour, in this moment, this is the love in which actively looks for ways to shine light into this darkness, this dreadful darkness. This is the love in which will not allow us to be silent when we see brothers and sisters that are hurting, no matter the color, no matter their politics. This is the love that restrains us when from the depths of our pain, the only thing that seems reasonable to us in the moment is to hurt one another. This is the love that won't allow us to do it. This is the love that can bring healing to a hurting world. This is the love that can bring healing to a hurting nation. This is the love that we've been loved with. And this is the love that since we've been loved with, we can now go and love others with. So this is my prayer. In the midst of this craziness, in the midst of this turmoil, in the midst of this rage in the midst of this darkness. My prayer is for us to go into this world and take this love with us. My prayer is that we will go and we will initiate sacrificial acting love into this world that desperately needs for us to do so. Let's pray. God, we love you. And we give you all the thanks and praise and glory and honor. We pray and we ask, Lord God, that you would raise your church in this hour in the midst of all the darkness, in the midst of all the hurt, in the midst of all the pain, in the midst of injustice, in the midst of fear, in the midst of frustrations, in the midst of people on the edges trying to pull us loose from the seams, 
that you would send your church out, Lord God, that you would send your church out with this love that we've been loved with, that we would be reminded, Lord God, of the great love in which you have loved us with through your son dying in our place, and that that reminder would serve, Lord God, by your spirit as a fuel and as an initiator for us to go in love. Father, we pray for the cities that are under fire. We pray for Minneapolis. We pray for Atlanta. We pray for Portland. We pray for Los Angeles. We pray for Detroit. We pray for Dallas. We pray for Vicksburg, Lord. And whatever hatred, whatever animosity, whatever bitterness may be festering and whatever animosity may be lying beneath the surface, we pray and we ask, Lord God, that the churches of this city, the churches of this nation would stand together and that we would share the love of Jesus Christ in a way that would shine brightly in this darkness. Lord, we ask that you would do it for the glory of your name. These things we ask and we pray in your son Christ's name. Amen.